Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Do not store up for yourselves the treasures on earth, where moth and vernon destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Good morning, everybody. We are finishing up our sermon series called Unsubscribe. And I think out of all the different items from which we have needed to unsubscribe, this final one might prove to be the most difficult, the most challenging. The reason why is because uh, this one in particular is so deeply embedded into our culture, and it's so interwoven into the American dream that we've experienced. And what we're going to be talking about today is unsubscribing from more. And what I mean by more is a life of materialism, of consumerism, the driving passion that we have of acquiring more possessions, more status, more comforts. For many of us, this is the driving force for so many decisions in in our life. We work so that we can get ahead, so we can have that thing, so we can move into that neighborhood, so we can provide and be able to take care of ourselves and get those uh, get those possessions so that finally, hopefully, we can, when we're much later, be in a place where we can retire comfortably. And that is what we call a full life. Now, the only problem with that is that for many of us, our desire for more is just elusive because when we experience that thing that we've been wanting, the thing we've been waiting for, there's always something a little bit further out. Our lives are spent chasing after more. And oftentimes this is fueled by what our culture, what our environment has called important. Like we follow the cues from our culture of what the actual value of certain things are. I've, I've had an experience of that this week. I, last week I hung out with a friend of mine whose wife works for a really famous author and a blogger. And every once in a while he'll get some swag. It's like free stuff will be mailed to him and maybe he'll support it and put it on, on his blog and stuff like that. And so he didn't want anything, so he brought it over to, to this house, and he said, hey, does anyone want this shirt or these things, or who's a size 9 shoe? And I said, oh, I am. And he's like, hey, do you want these shoes? I looked at them, and they were like completely, like, disgusting. Like, not fashionable. I'm like, this is why you give it away for free, because that's what it's worth. And uh, I remember thinking, oh, I'm, I need to act like, you know, I'm kind and grateful. So I said, oh, thank you for the shoes. I'm going to totally give them away to Goodwill tomorrow. And so I go home, and I have them set aside my Goodwill pile, and of course, I go, huh, I wonder, like, how expensive these disgusting slippers are. And I pull up my, you know, Google, and I look up, and sure enough, they're worth $125. So uh, anyone have any guess what I'm wearing today? (laughs) They might be, as the words of Jen, my wife, the most ugly pair of shoes ever, but they're $125 worth of ugliness. 
And uh, they could be yours. I'll sell it half off today. If you want it, you can have it. My evaluation, though, changed on the price tag that uh, this world set on this thing. And I, so in many ways, our lives, we look at how our culture has given value to certain things. You're looking at the shoes now, aren't you? Uh, we look at the way in which the world values certain things, and we adjust our lives around that. This happens in our life over and over and over again. And what makes it harder today is that uh, this world is feeding off of our restlessness, pushing us to long for more and more. Do you know that by some people's standards, we are receiving 4,000 to 5,000 ads a day? In subtle ways, about four or 5,000 times a day, something is given to us or shown to us, and all of it is saying, you need this. Like, you won't be happy until you have this thing. You need this thing. And subtly, that's just infusing our souls and our minds with this desire for more. There's a multi-billion dollar industry, uh, advertising industry, that exists to make money off of this sense of restlessness that's a part of us for more. And where this leads us is, is it leads us to we have more time-saving devices than ever before. We have more goods and services provided for us than ever before. We have more storage units filled to the brim than any generation before. And yet, we are marked as people by anxiety, sadness, and emptiness. As we chase our desires, our souls are panting for something different. And this is no new problem. In in Ecclesiastes, we find some ancient yet timely words. This is Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 11. Whoever loves money never has enough. (laughs) Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The obsession with more is a part of the human condition. As goods increase, so does consumption. And it's so rare in the human condition to find the response that says, you know what, this is enough. I don't need more. I'm content. It's always just a little bit further out there. This insatiable desire is maybe not even something bad. I've been thinking about this, like, where does this drive for more come from, and why is it there? And I found this quote from Dallas Willard, who's a philosopher and and theologian. He said this, Desire is infinite partly because we were made by God, made for God, made to need God, and made to run on God. We can be satisfied only by the one who is infinite, eternal, and able to supply all our needs. We are only home at, at home in God. When we fall away from God, the desire for the infinite remains. But it is displaced upon things that will certainly lead to destruction. Our problem is not that we have desire. It's what are we doing with this desire. We have an infinite appetite for more, perhaps. What, what Willard is saying is that It's been placed in us so that we would be driven to God. We're only at home in God. This is where uh, the Buddhist point of view and the Christian point of view differ, is the Buddhist point of view is the the solution to this problem is that we should detach from desire. 
But the Christian perspective is actually to, to see that desire and allow that to be like a spiritual compass driving us and sending us to God who loves to be a good provider, who loves to be the provision. What we experience in our world today is a displaced pursuit of satisfaction. And this leads to a life of materialism, consumerism, hedonism, and simply a life of more. And in the end, many of us just have a disappointing taste in our mouth. We have infinite desire because we've been made by an infinite God who've placed these desires upon our hearts. Uh, take this verse, for instance, Psalm 37, 4. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. We have many ways misunderstood this, I, this verse to say that like, if we delight in God, God will give us what we want. Like God is like this genie for more. That if we actually like love and worship God, then we'll get the things we want. As if God is actually the God of materialism, the consumerism. But instead, let's flip this around a little bit. That if we actually allow that driving passion for more to send us to God, and we actually delight in God, we will actually have the desires of our heart. Like, we will actually have the provision that God has intended us. And this desire for more will be actually found in God and who God is. More peace, more presence, more love, more purpose in our life. All is found in the hand and the heart of who God is. This is what I think Jesus was talking about in Matthew 6. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said these words as we have heard uh, earlier today. Do not store up yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus is saying don't spend your life working to acquire that kind of treasure. Learn to desire something different. Desire that which is eternal, that which has heavenly value. And then Jesus gives a simple statement that if we allow it, I think it will radically change how we live, how we see this world. Verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In this series, we've talked about a proverb, guard your heart for all you do, flows from it. We've talked about that most Sundays. We've talked about as we unsubscribe from things, we're guarding our heart from that which is holding us back. And it's like Jesus took up that, that proverb and then took a, a handful of more steps here. You know, we've talked about guarding our hearts from comparison, about guarding our hearts from our hurried life, from distracting noise, from antagonisms. And here Jesus is giving this clear warning about our hearts. What he's saying here is be so careful what you treasure. Be so, so careful in what you treasure. The treasures of this world are fleeting. They're temporary. They will leave you. They're weak. Don't put your heart there. Don't put your heart there. And unsubscribe from that kind of treasure. Materialism is too weak of a promise. If, if your treasure is the zip code in which you live in, if your treasure is the va vacations you get to take or the car you have or how perfect your kids are, whatever that treasure is, that thing cannot bear the weight of your worth. Cannot bear the weight of your heart, your soul, your sense of purpose, your sense of value. Place your heart on something eternal 
and true and unwavering. Jesus is saying, I just value and treasure my kingdom place, your heart there. It's the safest place to be. I feel like there's so few times in the Christian life where we can actually quantifiably perceive things. So much of the spiritual life is not, uh, you can't touch and, 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 and taste and see it. But here we actually find something that's quantifiable. This is an area where we can. Uh, if you want to see where your heart is, we just enact the famous line from the movie, All the President's Men. You follow the money. Where our money goes, there goes our hearts. You can look at your bank statement and you can see what you treasure most. Not to let us off the hook, but it's, the problem is not money in itself. Materials are not bad in itself. But it's the role they play in our life which causes so much damage. Uh, consider Paul's famous words to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.10. The love of money is, all, is the root of all kinds of evil. Usually when we hear this, we don't hear that first part. Notice that it's not money is the root of all evil, but it's the love of money is the root of all evil. It's when we have uh, such a passion for, love, uh, for money. That's when evil happens. That's when chaos happens in our life. It's when we become obsessed with it that it starts wreaking havoc in our life. And instead, we should consider what are we doing with our money? How are we using it? Does the way in which we use and enact our, uh, our money and our finances, does it actually bring about justice and mercy and generosity and compassion? Does the ways in which we use our resources, does it seem to mirror the way of Jesus? Or does it resemble the way of materialism and envy and greed of this world? In a world so obsessed with acquiring the most expensive, the most current, the most exotic, by the way, the iPhone 11 is now out. Everyone's looking at their phone going, this piece of trash, I've got to upgrade, you know? We are obsessed with getting the most recent, the most up-to-date, in a world that has this mentality, I think Jesus, Jesus sneaks in in the middle of the night and He mixes it up all the price tags. He puts great value on the things that we look past and the things that we praise and we idolize Jesus scoffs at. If you look at Jesus' life in the Gospel, He did this over and over again. Jesus lifted up the self-sacrifice of the Good Samaritan Jesus honored the anointing from a woman thought to be a harlot. Jesus delights in the sound of two measly little coins from a widow that she dropped into the coffer. He delights in those things. And he scoffs at the religious showmanship of the Pharisees. He scoffs at the temptation from, from the enemy just to bow down and you can have all of the world. Jesus' priorities was based on a different kingdom, different values. And I think Jesus, what, what He wants to do in our life, He wants to reorder what we value most. Jesus wanted to show us the one thing that we should desire, the one thing we should have such a desire for more of is, is to more of God, more of God's kingdom breaking into our life and into this world. In this passage in Matthew 6, Jesus continues, with what seems to be a bizarre detour. Verse 22, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, 
How great is that darkness? What Jesus is doing here, the biblical idea of a healthy eye could also be an eye that is broad, an eye that is generous. And that unhealthy eye in, in, in that day and that time was an eye that was stingy. It was an eye that was narrow. So Jesus here is talking about the way in which we see life. Either we will have eyes of generosity, we have eyes of broadness that will lead us to a life that is full of light, or else we'll have eyes that are stingy, that are narrow, that will bring about inner darkness. And even though this is like, seems to be poetic language, we know what Jesus is talking about. We know what it's like when we live open-handed, we live freely and lightly, we know what that does to our souls. Yet when we have a mentality and a perspective of life of scarcity, where you, when you take, you take from me, we know what that leads to. It leads to darkness, it leads to unhealth, it leads to chaos and destruction. What a great darkness that would be. I love how Eugene Peterson translated this, these two verses. This is what he said. Your eyes are the windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live with squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a dank cellar. If you, put the, if you pull the blinds on, on your windows, what a dark life you will have. This is Jesus. He's not a detour. He's talking about, just as he's talking about storing up treasures in heaven, he's inviting us to have a broad and a generous view of what life can be. And in the very next verse, he jumps back into it. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Notice this seems to say that we'll probably have a master. <laughs> There's not an autonomous, free individual. You, you're either your, your God will be uh, the God of materialism, it will be the God of materialism, consumerism, having more, or else it will be the way in which Jesus is the king and the master of our life. We've heard this in the verse preceding that the choice between these two masters will determine if we've had an expansive light or if we live in darkness. This choice will determine if our treasures remain in a safe and eternal place or if we'll be left in this shaky and unstable world. That which you treasure determines where your heart is going to be. This seems to be serious. It seems like Jesus is saying the stakes are high. I think it's because the stakes are high in our life. There's so many verses in our scriptures that give us these warnings. And it's like God's Word is pleading with us. Please, please unsubscribe from that way of living and seeing life. It's like Jesus is trying to say, there's something so much better for you. Unsubscribe from it. Find a different way to live. I think that's what our call is as, as God's people, as a church, to, to find a different way to live. And I want to share a couple of ways in which we can uh, enact some practices in our communal life as we've done each week this more than just saying no to this thing is actually us experiencing the goodness of a different way of living. And so for us, we're going to hear some ways in which we can unsubscribe from more and find uh, eternal treasures in God's kingdom. The first practice I want us to consider is practicing contentment. Paul said this words, uh, the church of Philippi in 
Philippians 4.11, he said this, I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it's like to, what it's like to be in need, and I know what it's like to have plenty. I have learned the secret, I love this, this little phrase, the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. We love that last verse, but oftentimes we take it out of context. The strength that, that God's giving us is the strength to be content. To be like whatever situation that we're in, that we are enacting contentment. What are like the markers of a, of a life of contentment? What are, what are some of the ways in which you can see contentment in someone's life? Joy? Gratitude. Yeah, just this, just simple, just thank you, God. Seems to be freedom for me. I think when I, people are content, they're just free. They're not evaluating their life based on other people. And there's a secret of contentment because we know it's hard to find. We know that contentment is not easy for us. So now, like in your own life, can, consider where in your life you struggle with your desire for more. Think of that place of yearning in your life. Now consider, wherever that place is for you, consider what God has already given there. Consider how you can practice gratitude for that home you have, for the clothes you have, for the friends you have, the ability not to have to wonder if you're going to eat after church today. Let the impulse for more to actually be a prompt for the opposite. The secret of contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It's so good for our souls. So one of the practices for us is the practice of contentment. The second practice that I'd like for us to consider is consider fasting. It is so interesting. You know what happens right before this passage in Matthew 6? Jesus literally just got done talking about fasting. The gift of fasting. It is interesting for me that that is what leads into this conversation around materialism. Fasting is an incredible way in which we unsubscribe from more because when we fast, we're actually practicing self-restraint. We're actually saying no to our, our desires, no to our appetites. And we're learning to be mastered by something different than our cravings. We're mastered by God. St. Augustine once said these beautiful words, God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are too full to receive them. I think it's not only our hands that are too full, but I think it's our stomachs that are too full. Our hearts are full. Our minds are all too full to receive God's presence, God's goodness to the measure that God wants to give. And fasting actually allows there to be emptiness. Allows there to be space for which God to provide. Space for us to learn that there's a provision that God gives that sometimes it does not look like what the world will give. One can fast, though, for more than just food. Some of us might need to fast in other ways, wherever we feel like that drive for more is the strongest. I know a, a friend of mine was dealing with, she was, just felt convicted that she was struggling with vanity and materialism. And so she decided that she wanted to fast from that. And so she decided for a whole year not to buy one piece of clothing. For a whole year. Now, husbands, get your elbow down. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. I mean, like, just think of how much time and space is taken up by watching sports. <laughs> you know, there's, there's so many ways in which we could create more space in our life for God. 
And I know this is the reason why many people don't come to church. Enjoy your clothes, enjoy your sports, but just think that God might actually be inviting you to have a season of fasting where we learn to create more space in our life. So I know people that fast from social media, from screen time, wherever there is an increasing desire for more, you seem never to be satisfied, maybe God is calling you to consider fasting. Fasting is just the physical expression of a prayer of a soul. That God actually, I want less of that thing, and I, I want more of you. I want to desire more of you. I want my appetites to be as naturally as for that thing. I want my appetites to be, man, I just would love to sneak away with God. I just want more of God's presence, more of his peace, more of his purpose in my life. And in fasting, we remember that deeper hunger. And the third and the final practice I would like for us to consider this week, I think uh, just it might be a way in which Jesus is inviting us into this, is for us to give generously. One of the ways in which we unsubscribe from more materialism is we give it away. We remember Jesus' words that whatever you treasure, there's your heart. So in our giving, we move our heart from the things of this world into the heart of God. We practice uh, generosity in compassionate ways, in merciful ways, for the sake of redemption and love and grace. Consider John's words in 1 John 3, 16, 17, and 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love. Let us not love with word or speech, but with action and with truth. What challenging words for us. The way in which we know if we've experienced the love of, of Jesus is if we are pouring our love out for other in word and in deed and in action. What we do with our resources is not only important for this world, but it's also important for our soul. Either our possessions will possess us or we can steward them to the very heart of God, providing for people in this world the priorities that Jesus has in this world, placing our heart in what matters most to God. The goal for unsubscribing for more or from any of these other items that we've done in this series is not just to be some morally restrained people, but it's, it allows us, for us to be open to encounter the love of God that we find so abundantly in Jesus and to be transformed because of it. In the words we just read, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. Jesus laid down his life, and this is how we know what love is. If what we treasure is the very place of our heart, I just want you to know this today, is that Jesus treasures you, that he loves you. He's given his life for you. That's where his heart is. His heart's in this place. His heart's in Austin. His heart's in Rwanda. That's the treasure that God has chosen. And he has generously gave himself for you, for us. This is the burning passion of Jesus, is that we would experience this generosity from him, and in turn, that we would desire more of him, that we would desire to have an, just longing to have more of Christ in our life, 
more of his peace, more of his joy, more of his purpose in this world. This is why unsubscribe from all these things so that we can have hands and hearts open, ready to receive who God is in Christ. And as we leave this series, I just I hope this has been meaningful to you. My prayer is that through all of these weeks that we have learned to guard our hearts from that which commonly holds us back that we've discovered practices that attune our hearts to, to Christ's grace in our life, and that ultimately that we have learned to treasure what matters most. For Christ truly treasures you.